Turn in your New Testaments to Colossians 1, 9 through 13. Colossians 1, 9 through 13. And here is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You know, I like to tune in to what people say, the way they say things, kind of trying to figure out what's, you know, behind what they're saying. And, and when it comes to joy... I've, I've never heard it put this way, but I, I think about, uh, when I think about how joy diminishes in our lives, I think about this lady very often when I think of that. It was 1995, and uh, the lady is none other than the Queen of England. Uh, you probably don't remember what was happening. It was a big deal. Uh, the Queen of England was going through the worst year of her entire life. Um, Two of her sons were in the midst of, of scandals and William, Diana and, and whatever his name, that, the, the current prince, I don't remember his name, but I remember her. And, uh, and Andrew, I remember Andrew, and I think her name was Fergie or, or something like that. And man, it wasn't just that, that marriages were coming apart and there were scandals. This was the moment when people who've been waiting for this opportunity stood up and said, this is why we don't need a monarchy anymore. We need to get rid of them all. We don't need these people representing us. And so it was a really tense time. And, you know, every year she's got to give that little speech. A little kind of how the year's going, a little opening speech. And so all this is happening in her life. Everybody can see that it's just so hard on her. And she doesn't show much emotion. But I, C-SPAN was covering the speech and I wanted to see it. So I tuned into the speech. And, uh, and there she was. And she decided to address the issue in the first sentence of the speech, and I will never forget the way she put what she was going through. She said, and I wrote it down, here are her exact words, 1995, I can't say it like her, 1995 is a year that I shall not look back on with undiluted joy. <laughs> Can I translate that into the ordinary vernacular? I've been to royal Hades and back this year. <laughs> and there are lots of things that dilute our joy. There are lots of things that maim and try to kill and, and utterly destroy our joy. And seeing the Queen of England publicly go through something and deal with it with a stiff upper lip like that publicly is one thing. But what about when it's somebody you know? And you love. What about when it's somebody you're close to and you just see them going through horrendous trials and, and pressures and, and hits? What do you do? 
Well, I'll tell you, Paul shows us what he did and, 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 and really where we need to go with this. Paul cared about this little church in Colossae. Church in Colossae is the smallest church in the smallest town that he ever wrote a letter to. Ephesus, the great capital of, the, of Asia Minor, now Turkey in the modern world. Ephesus was the great capital. And just a little ways from Ephesus was a has-been little crossroads town on a Roman road called Colossae who had seen its better days. But there was a man from Colossae, his name was Epaphras, and he had gone to Ephesus, and he, we think that he heard Paul preach in Tyrannus Hall there every day. You can read about it in the book of Acts, where he would, he would just talk about who Jesus is and, and, and what salvation really is. And we believe this man, Epaphras, probably came to know the Lord under Paul's preaching in Ephesus, and he went back to his little hometown, and he began to talk to his family, and he began to talk to people that he knew and loved. And you know what happened as he talked about true forgiveness as he talked about love that is unconditional, as he talked about a future that is sure and and the presence of God in our lives right now, people were drawn to Jesus and they began to believe. And a little church was formed. And the reason for this letter is Epaphras went and visited Paul in 60 AD. That's about when this letter was written. He went and visited Paul in prison. And Paul really wanted, he was kind of the grandfather, if you will, of this little church, had a big heart for this church. He wanted, he wanted to know about the church in the little town of Colossae. And, and this is what Epaphras basically told him. He said, you know, you'd be really proud of them. Good things are happening, but there's a huge problem. And Paul, I'm going to tell you, this problem that is, is rising up is so big that it's going to split the church. It's so big that it's going to turn people away from Jesus and something needs to be done. And the occasion for writing this letter was to address, to, to, to send greetings and, and, and is very happy about his love for them, but to address this false teaching that is going on in the little town of Colossae. Because basically the false teachers were saying this, yeah, 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 Jesus, but we've got some extra stuff. And if you knew the, the really the super spiritual ways to pray, and if you knew the right words, and there's all this stuff going on in the spiritual realm, and we've got all the secret mystical spirituality, if you just kind of did this, that would unlock all kinds of power and make your life kind of a turning away from living for God and other people to trying to use the spiritual realm for yourself, a selfishness that will lead to division and will lead to misery in our own hearts. There's just very little difference between now, I mean... You know, I think there's all kind of uh, ways that we ourselves are tempted every week. Is it going to be about Jesus and, and His grace and love and a relationship with the one true and living God and having to live by faith? That gets pretty hard, doesn't it? Or maybe we get on the Internet and find out some really spiritual guruish kind of cool thing to do and add that on top and maybe try to do this or try to do that. And there are some Christians that even tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But, but really the secret is over here. There's no secret over here. And that's what Paul wants to say. Is it's, it's about Christ. And he's really concerned. And, and bad things are starting to happen to people that he loves in this little church in Colossae. And, and Paul says uh, in our text that uh, I'm praying for you. When, when you see people going through things, when you see their joy being diluted and all these difficult things, when you see them kind of struggling in their faith, look, don't go to them and put your arm around them as the first course and say, it's going to be okay. How, who do you know that it's going to be okay? 
I mean, it's going to be okay if you love Jesus and you follow the one true and living God in the big picture. God does work all things for his good, yes. But you don't have the authority to say it's going to be okay. You don't have the authority to say you're okay without hearing what is on that person's heart. Maybe there need to be changes in the lives of that person and not just changes in the situation. Maybe there, there needs to be understanding of the level of grief and difficulty so that we can empathize with that person and really come in and support them. Paul teaches us, you don't just run in and start saying things. Pray. Isn't that a great place to start? Pray for those people. Paul says in, in our text in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Of course, well, that's not what we often do. Paul says, we keep praying for you. Paul says, and we don't just pray this prayer, bless them, Lord. We're about to look at the prayer of Paul, and what we're going to see is Paul's going to say, Lord, would you do these things in their lives so that they can move faithfully through the issues involved in their lives in this church and come out on the other side to your glory. He's going to pray for character traits to begin to show up in their lives. Transformation of their lives. You see, it's not going to be, his prayers aren't going to be just about the situation. It's going to be about God meeting them in the situation. So let's look at this prayer, and I'd like you to, to write down these two things. It's really about two things, it's, and it has to do with his prayer for their desire and ability, really, their desire to go deeper. And his prayer, secondly, for their desire to go the distance, to keep going, to go deeper and to go the distance. So first he prays that they can go deeper into the heart of God. Verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, listen to these words, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, it's interesting that uh, he talks about fullness and knowledge. That's exactly what the false teachers were saying. Hey, we've got this fullness over here, and we've got this special knowledge, this really cool spirituality stuff. And if you'll do that, Paul says, hey, you want to know what fullness is? You want to know what the real knowledge is? Look, it's the knowledge of his will. It's the knowledge of a different kind of life that we can live that is rock solid, and you can know it, and you can live it. Last week we saw like a triad of that's real popular with Paul, faith, hope, and love. This week Paul goes right to another triad, and that's knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, or knowledge, wisdom, and insight. And uh, basically what, what, what we, I want you to know about this as he's praying is this isn't praying just knowledge of facts about God. It really is prayer that they would know God and His ways, and what their lives can be better as they walk with God, and to know Him deeper and deeper, to go deeper. Now, the knowledge of His will, that's really interesting. Half the books in Christendom, I think, must be written about how to know the will of God. And I'm going to resolve this in a paragraph? Yes, I'm going to resolve it. Isn't that amazing that I can do that? And nobody in Christendom's done it before, but I can do it this morning, because this isn't about God's will in the terms that you're, you and I would think of it. This isn't about what's going to happen to me type God's will. There's two different ways to look at God's will. One is, what's going to happen to me, and why do bad things and good things, and how's God sovereign, and all this other stuff. 
that, you know, we think and we're kind of vexed about God's will. How can we know what's God's will? That's one way to look at that. That's not what Paul is saying here. The other way is what God wants our lives to look like. What is God's will for, for our lives to look like? What, what is he leading us to be like? And, and, and if we were following him and, and being transformed, what difference would that actually make in our lives as we move through uh, incredibly difficult things? It's more than just knowing facts. Paul says, look, I want you to know what God's will is for your life. By the way, um, that has to do with living out the grace and love of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, this is how they'll know you belong to me, that you love one another. That has to do with the Ten Commandments. You know, this, this is what I want your life to look like. Now, man, we're going to be all over the highway. We're going to have to repent. We'll get into that in a minute. But Paul says, I not only want you to have the knowledge of my will while you're going through this stuff. Because I'm going to tell you, while you're going through some hard stuff, you're in a place where you can go either way with this thing. You can lock up and try to control it and kind of try to, you know, take it on your own. And that could turn out really bad. Or you can say, God, help me understand who you are in this. What, What you would like for me to be in this matter and Paul says not only the, the knowledge of his will, but he wants them to have spiritual wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things, aren't they? Look, we got more knowledge in the culture than we've ever had. The information explosion. There are more bits of stuff and people more know, know more stuff than ever before. But that does not translate into wise living. In fact, I would say that we know more stuff than ever and we probably are more unwise than ever because wisdom is the ability to take truth and apply it to our lives in such a way that it works the way God wants it to work. That there's something wise, there's an ability to apply knowledge. There are some people that know, even Bible knowledge, there's some great theologians who are pretty stupid the way they act. And don't have much walking around sense and applying that. But then he says, not only can you know what this looks like, the knowledge of my will, not only will I give you wisdom to be able to start putting that into place in your actual situation, I love this last one, but I'm going to give you understanding or insight. Now, we get this because don't you think there's a difference between me saying on the one hand, yeah, I know about so-and-so, or I kind of know so-and-so. And then me saying, on the other hand, yeah, I, I understand so-and-so. You see the difference between just kind of being known, known about and being understood? In your whole life, if you have ten people who understand you to any kind of level, you are blessed. Those are the people who say, you know, this is, this is the way that person is. We've got to give them a little grace. and We can, we can work with them for who they are because I understand them. You don't know what they've been through. Come on, let's don't do that. We, I understand them and, and let's help in this way or, or oh, they, they need a lot more help over here. Let me tell you, there's some huge deficits in this person's life because I understand them. What a blessing. And Paul is saying that not only can they know what it kind of looks like in God's will, but not only can they have a wisdom to begin to apply that in the situation, they can get to know God's heart and begin to have insight into His incredible love and empathy. Do you realize there's not one thing that we go through 
that Jesus himself in our place hasn't gone through. Yet without sin. God, you see, Paul's not praying that they would just know more Bible facts. He's praying that they would know more of God. Have more understanding and insight. So let me ask you this. As we move into a new year, and each of us have people that we're praying for, and I'm always convicted that I, I probably need to you know, increase my prayer list. Maybe, that, maybe there's some people I should be praying for. Y'all ever feel that way? I do, because see, I believe in prayer. I do believe you have not because you ask not, and I do believe God's sovereign. I have no clue how that works. I just know that it's prayer. And I love it. But um, maybe this year we need to ask the question, how are we praying? Maybe we just don't need to pray, Lord, take that thing away. Make it okay. Maybe we need to pray, Lord, would you, would you help my friend be able to, to see the, the knowledge of your will and what that can look like? Would you give them the wisdom to apply that in their situation and give them deep insight into your very heart for them and, and, and draw them closer to you? So the first thing is Paul prays for their desire to go deeper. But secondly, he prays for their desire to go the distance, to, to keep going. You see, knowing things and just knowing what to do is incomplete, isn't it? we got to live our lives. And, and here's the clue. We're going to live them. Every one of us, me, you, Today, we're going to live our life. Tomorrow, we're going to live our life. The question is not whether we're going to live our lives and, 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 and you know, represent something in our lives. The question is how we're going to live our lives. And, and Paul basically is saying, you know, we need to pray that, that they can live their lives. Look at verse 10. And we pray this knowledge, wisdom, and insight. We pray this in order that so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So that it actually comes out in our lives, worthy of the Lord, and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And uh, we can live our lives in a way that is in the direction of what is pleasing to the Lord. You know what worthy means, to live our lives worthy? It simply means with consistency with what God has done for us, Meaning he's gracious to us, we are gracious to others. He is sacrificial in his love for us, we are sacrificial in our love for others. That's living out the gospel, right? It's, it's living consistently with what God has done for us and what God has said. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are going, ain't no way. Well, true, true enough. God's not calling us to be perfect. But God is calling us in our lives to, to really meditate on His love and what that looks like, not only receiving it, but coming out and, and looking at His will for our lives and asking Him and seeing that come into play. You know, the, this, this idea of God making us more like Jesus, that's a lifelong proposition. It's called progressive sanctification or progressively becoming, growing in Christ. So, yes, and there are times, are there not, when you feel like you get a major setback? Yes, there are. In fact, it's interesting, because Jesus has, has bought us with a price, his, his own life for our life, 
and brought us into a secure, eternal relationship with the Father that will never go away based on what He has done rather than us trying to have a relationship with God. When, when Jesus said it is finished, He meant it was complete. There's nothing you can add to the work that Jesus did on, on your behalf. There's nothing you can do to subtract. It's, it's 100% complete and brings us into a relationship with God. Into a relationship with God where God will always love you. God will never leave you. Do you believe that? And here's the great thing. And we can always repent. And He will always take us back. You see, as I pray these things that you have in order that you might live a life more consistent with Christ, more consistent with the will of God. And, and you know what? When we out, we're out of that consistency, we turn to God away from that sin and ask the Lord to, to bring us back to that. Because, indeed, is this not the life that really impacts others? And here's the reason why. If it's like Jesus, it, appoint, it points people to Jesus. Our lives do matter, and not just our words. In fact, you know, for those of you who uh, are parenting, I bet if you ask your, your child whether they're grown or not, if your children are with you, I bet if you ask them what are some of the things that impacted them spiritually the most in your life, I bet you they, they would say, well, you know, you, Dad or Mom, you were an example to me in this way. And, you know, and we, we worshiped together. You taught me that. You showed me love, etc." But they might even say, you know, some of the most impactful things were when you came and said, I'm sorry to me. And you showed me Jesus yet again. Yeah, th- this points us... This points other people to Jesus. And and what the text says is that not only do do we begin to live this out, but it bears fruit. That there's something produced by that life that is positive in the world around us and that does make a difference in people's lives. But then Paul says, he prays for them to keep living out the truth of Christ. You see, what he knows is what we know about this journey called life. It's a long journey, unless the Lord makes it short. You ever read Pilgrim's Progress? If you hadn't, you ought to read it this year. That'd be a great thing to put down on your to-do list. It wears me out. Because it, it represents life as just having all this, this different grades of struggle and, and different, shall we say, topography. You know what I mean by, to- you know what a topo map is? It just shows how steep things are. You know, you see where the mountains are. And sometimes life is, is not as difficult as certain ways. It's like walking across an alluvian field. And there are other times when you feel like you're ice climbing because it is so hard every single day and the challenges are so great. And Paul knows that the journey is long and the journey is, is great and wonderful and the journey's hard. And Paul also knows that not everything that people go through in their lives are resolved equally quickly. If you have big-time relational problems, I want you to know they're not going to be resolved quickly, normally. That's Hollywood. That's not real life. You just keep loving. And love wins the day in the relationship. Look, people with cancer don't always have it taken away in a matter of two weeks. In the first service, I was just saying that, looking at this 
wonderful lady who went through two and a half years of cancer and the Lord brought her through. But she's like, yeah, not everything is equally easy. And so Paul there, therefore prays not only that we have this, this knowledge of God's will, the ability to apply it in our lives inside of, into the heart of God for us so that we could begin to walk more consistently with God's love for us in Christ, with His revealed will in the Scripture, repenting all the way and believing all the way. And Paul says, and so I'm going to pray also that you can have endurance and patience. You know why Paul prayed that? Because he knows that's what's required. Those are two words we're not crazy about. Endurance and patience. It's interesting, you'd think they're the same thing, wouldn't you? Except if you knew the Greek words, you would not think they're the same thing because they're not. Endurance has to do with a situation that just takes a long time, a difficult situation. Patience has to do with a difficult person or people that you've got to keep dealing with over time. And, and hey, I'm thankful for that distinction because I've been through both a difficult situation and difficult people, and sometimes both at the same time, of course. Uh, in our lives. You know, I was listening to a discussion about Iraq and Afghanistan to, this week, and what, what precipitated this discussion was, was the question, which I do not want to comment on, and by my comments, please don't infer things from what I'm about to say. I'm just reporting to you the conversation. Whether the United States of America pulled out of Iraq too fast. That's, that was the question. And um, what's going on, you know, over there? And what do we do with Afghanistan? And a historian said the most interesting thing. He said, you know, democracies don't do long wars very well. Now, if you're in a totalitarian regime, a dictator, a king, you basically fight till he says it's time to come home. And if you don't, that's it. It's a lot easier to reconcile. This is my duty because the king or the dictator says... And I'm not going to survive if I don't do his will. If you're in a democracy, you got people like at home going, I'm not sure we need to be over there anymore. And, and the point was, is that people in democracies get really weary of conflicts. And we're not built for long wars. Well, guess what? They're, they're just not, we're just not built for endurance with hard things as, as people. You know, we, we feel like this is more of a democracy than it is. Actually, God's in an absolute monarchy, but sometimes we kind of feel like it's a democracy. It's not. And, and, and Paul says, you know, you know, I'm going to pray all these things, and I'm going to pray that you have endurance and patience. You see, do we pray for people a simple, a quick, easy answer? Or do we say, Lord, sustain them as long as needs to be sustained? Look at verse 11, and it's so great because... You look at life and you say, life is great, life is hard. Life does require endurance and patience. And, and it's not as if God Almighty says, hey, look, I love you. Here's what I want you to do. Good luck. No, he's with us. And we read in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Do you know what that means? Is that for us to move in the direction that God wants to change us, Basically, the, might, the glorious might has to do with the fact that the power God gives us through a relationship is no less than His very attributes. His glory, His power is like His glory. It's unstoppable. His, his might is sufficient. 
And God does, by His Holy Spirit, does He not give us enough strength for today to walk? He does. Paul isn't just praying for a different result for people. He's praying for a different quality of life for them in Christ. He's praying that they will live well in Christ over time, regardless of what they are going through. And understand, we who are in Christ, we walk with Christ, and He is transforming us. And and if you look at verse 11, you'll see something that you wouldn't expect unless you had already read the passage. We got all this stuff they're going through, and and the the knowledge and all this, so that you can live an endurance. And He says in verse 11, and joy. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now how is it that all that struggle produces joy and gratitude? Well, I'll tell you. It's because we go deeper into the heart of God. And and have you ever wondered why you're, you're so filled with joy and so grateful for some things? If you had everything, and if I had everything handed to me on a silver platter, I wouldn't be grateful. It is the distinguishment, isn't it? That God actually has shown us something in the midst of something hard that becomes this point of great joy and great thanksgiving. And the topography, the, the terrain of joy can be steep in our lives, but it is good. Now I will tell you something else about as you pray for people. You know, I talked to somebody between the services. I said, I'm, I'm really going through it. And I said, you, did you hear what I said in first service? And this person said, yes, and I wrote that down. And here's what it was. That as God works in your life to give you the, the knowledge of His will, the wisdom, the insight, and His mighty power for you to walk with Him and the endurance and the patience, as God does that, He will give you joy And whenever that thing is over, whatever it is, here's the great news. You get to keep it. Like you get to go back to like a normal level of struggle in a fallen world and all that that you learned at the feet of Jesus, all that depth and wonder of God's love and grace, you get to keep it. And this person said, you'll never know how much that encouraged me. Yes, that makes me rejoice. I'm filled with joy in the midst of my Difficulty and gratitude. But isn't it wonderful, finally, that in this text, as they, Paul is addressing these, these hard things in Colossae and calling on them to turn and to not go there and to not let it be that. Is, isn't it wonderful that as you look at the topography of joy, yes, it moves into endurance and patience and all this and closeness to God through it, and joy. But isn't it wonderful that in verse 13, the topography of joy leads to another high place. Yes, there are steep grades that we have to live in this life by faith and in Christ and daily by His grace. But there is another high place, and it is God's holy mountain called heaven where there will be undiluted 
joy. Verse 12, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, what is that, that sentence to, to, to share in the inheritance? What does that sound like to you? Go back to the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament about inheritance, you have people who don't have a home, and God says, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a land, and it's going to flow with milk and honey, and when you come into that land, it's going to be wonderful. That is exactly what Paul is talking about here, but our inheritance is so much greater than, than the soil of this place. It is heaven itself. It is where the joy will conquer everything in the face of Jesus Christ. It is where darkness will flee forever and there will be light and glory and, and the light of truth and the light of love, brighter and more beautiful, ecstatic than anything you can now imagine. And what will that be like at the end of a life where we just had to trust the Lord. God built us, but it was wonderful and it was hard. But God built us and He used us and showed us, showed other people the gospel through us, other people what Christ is like through us. And then we entered into this. What would that be like to just come into that kingdom of light of the saints, the inheritance? I don't know. But when I read this passage, it reminds me of, of, of something, a, a feeling I had as a child. Christmases were huge in my house, and my mother was largely responsible for that. My dad was into it, too. And um, everything was kind of a build-up toward Christmas, right? Are you all like that in your house? Everything's a build-up toward Christmas. And it's all coming down to one moment. And I, and, and I remember my sister and I... Probably about 6 a.m., I'm not sure. I don't know that the sun was up. And we go and, and go into our parents' bedroom and say, it is time. Now, let me tell you, when we were little, it was time. On the parents' side, it ain't time. And uh, as mine get older and older, I know we're able to push that time back. That's good. That's good. But, you know, it was time. All the build up. And, and my dad would take us, and he'd take us across the house. And in our house, there was where our bedrooms was, kind of like a separate, you know, area. And there was a sliding door. He put us behind the door, pulled the sliding door. We were cordoned off from everything. And we had to wait until he said it was okay. What he did was he'd sneak all the way back around. And, and we would go into this room that a lot of people don't know about anymore called a living room. You only go in there about five times a year. But this is exactly, and it's always vacuumed, and, and this is exactly where we would go on Christmas morning. And my dad was kind of a techie, and he had one of those 8-millimeter cameras. You know, that kind of camera. But let me tell you, to take that footage in circa 1960-whatever, you had to have lots of light. I mean, where the presents were and all this stuff. It was a veritable studio. There were huge lights with tripods pointing down to where we were going to come. There were like things that reflected light, you know, up over. So all that would get put up, everything, everything would get flipped on. And my dad would say, it's time. 
You can come on. And man, we throw that door. We would just, I mean, not even break stride all the way around there. And it was the most interesting experience to wheel around into the living room, into the most un, just, just ghastly, unearthly light. It was crazy. And you're rushing into this light and the first thing you see is the joy on your parents' face. You look around and there's Betsy, my sister, and the joy on her face. Then you look at the gifts and you look at everybody and there's joy. And and it's just this wonderful thing of just kind of coming into the light, into the love, into the joy. And I know heaven is going to be so much greater than that. Please, I know you just almost denigrate spiritual things by trying to explain. But what will it be like, folks? As God will be with us and He will transform us and and grow us and use us all our days. And it will be great. And it will be hard. And we will learn and grow. That one day when we are able to move directly, immediately into our inheritance, the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, just into the love, into the light, into the joy that will never be diluted. 2012, don't just pray for things to go away in people's lives. Pray for God to work in their lives, to to produce that joy. Don't just go say it's going to be okay and you're great. Pray for them, pray with them and work with them so that really actual wonderful things from the God of grace and truth can happen in their lives knowing that one day we will enter the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for the assurance and thank you for your presence all the way there. God, you're doing work in the lives of those who know you. If you've not put your trust in Jesus, you're just trying to do it on your own and you'll fail. God is too holy for you to change yourself enough to come to him on your own. Jesus has come and paid the price for our sins. If you'd like to turn away from your own religion homemade or otherwise, and put your trust in Jesus and come into his arms and into that life of love and power. Just pray with me. Lord, I I see it. I can't do this. And I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done. And, oh, Lord, would you encourage us that you are with us in this year? Would you encourage us in the relationships with people that we have, for us not to be discouraged, but to pray. And as Paul teaches us, to keep on praying for your mighty power and grace to transform our friends, our relatives, those whom we know. And Lord, would you transform us as well. And thank you for that day when joy will be unmolested and undiluted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.